0: whatever's going on, whether it's something we're saying or doing, or thinking or feeling, your nervous system is behind it. Right? So if you think about people with with trauma, um, their nervous system, probably is just more sensitive to cues of danger, than someone who hasn't had those experiences. Again, it's not that we are in ventral all the time. None of us are. Nobody. Nor nor do we want to be. That's not the goal of living. Right? The pain, the suffering comes when we dysregulate into a survival state and get stuck there. We can't find our way back to regulation. Right. So if we're, you know, for, for many trauma survivors, the dysregulation happens and they have a hard time finding their way back to regulation. And that makes that brings the suffering. Right, for, for your two year old, if, if your two year old has this long temperature interview, you say, Wow, really suffering because they're stuck. Right? They don't want to be. Right. And again, the nervous system doesn't it doesn't think in that way. It simply enacts a response.
1: Well, we don't use the word excited very often to introduce guests. And it's not that we're not excited to introduce people. It's more that the word is used so often, we don't want to overuse it. We love bringing on new people and sharing new thoughts and ideas. And there is a little bit of an excitement for every guest that we bring on. But I can say today that Mary and I were both genuinely excited to bring on our guest today, Deb Dana. Deb is a clinician, consultant, and author specializing in complex trauma, and her work is focused on using the lens of polyvagal theory to understand and resolve the impact of trauma in creating ways of working that honor the role of the autonomic nervous system. She is a founding member of the Polyvagal Institute and developer of the signature Rhythm of Regulation Clinical Training Series. Deb is well known for translating polyvagal theory into a language and application that is both understandable and accessible for clinicians and curious people alike, much of what we'll talk about today. So welcome, Deb, to the third place.
2: We welcome you to explore the third place with us.
1: It is an invitation to the gray space a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging, empowering, empowering, and and engaging dialogue.
2: You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations.
1: Thank you for listening.
2: We invite you in to the third place.
0: I do think that, you know, polyvagal theory is just a a way we understand how we're human, right? Which is, which is what you are, are bringing to life. You know, the, the ways we're human, the ways we rise to the challenge, we, we fall, we come back. And so even though I do work a lot with clinicians, um, you know, I, I like to reach out to, to just curious human beings Mm -hmm. as well, because this is about how our biology is, is, um, working with us or, or against us moment to moment, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, first of all, Mm. thank you for being here. Let's Mm. just get after it. I'm so I want to share a brief story from this morning. So I do brain spotting therapy with I'll shout out to him, Thad Fry. He's been really instrumental in my life. And I told him, I said, I get to talk to Deb Dana today. And I have been so excited to talk to Deb Dana. And he and he said, well, tell her hi for me. And I'm like, have you met her? And he said, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And so, so then we went on this joke, and he said, please tell her. W W D D D. What would Deb Dana do is why he
0: asks himself. <laughs> you know, I I it's so funny. You um, people can't see me because we're audio only, but I get very uh, it, it's interesting because it brings up this sort of um, you know, who am I response inside that sure. we all have. It also it's very humbling to know that there are people in the world who are thinking about polyvagal um. And I happen to be the voice they're thinking about, but it's just an interesting place to be in my life at this moment of thinking, Oh, there are people who, who, you know, want to meet me. It's like, Oh, that, that is just really fun. And don't I wish I could meet people at the moment? Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so this is lovely, lovely to at least be together in this way. Yeah. Well,
2: and it's kind of cool too, because we were. Just feeling like we were nerding out in such a unique, special way. So you attract a little bit of nerds, too. And like nervous system nerds. I, I'm a proud nervous system nerd.
0: I love it. You know, I, I say somewhere in some book that I've always been a neuroscience nerd, you know, always because, I, you know, trained as a as a social worker. And, you know, we work to help people sort of rewire their systems. And in the beginning of my work, it was how do you reshape your brain, you know, neuroplasticity. And so I thought, well, we ought to understand this, this part of the body we're working with. So I I got to go in a histology lab um, at the medical school that's um, near my home with a bunch of other social workers and, and um, work with human brains, section human brains. And it was the coolest thing. And I say that and some people go, Oh, no, you just lost me. And other people go that is so cool so yeah that nerdiness around neuroscience and, and the body and you know I like we, I like you're a nervous system nerd that's great we can <laughs> we can be that together yeah. yeah David
2: do you relate do you think you're a nervous system nerd maybe you will be after talking to Deb
1: yeah no I'm really excited just to, to learn you know so Mary's been familiar with your work for a while
2: thanks to my mom
1: yeah oh, Shout out Catherine to mom. always Catherine, yeah <laughs> so I've been able to like kind of catch up a little bit, but, you know, as we were doing kind of, you know, our homework and, and reading a little bit about you, I'm, I was starting to feel the geek out moments of, okay, this is going to be a lot of fun. So, well, I I know that, you know, your work is called polyvagal theory. And so the first time I read that, I'm like, I don't know what that means, (laughs) but there's, I think that there's something about that word polyvagal that really catches you off guard, but it, it also immediately makes me very curious. Um, and and what I found beautiful in the description that you shared is kind of this quote, it's the science of feeling safe enough to fall in love with life and take the risks of living. Could you kind of just elaborate uh, that phrase and how you came to that uh, for our listeners?
0: Sure. Yeah. And, and I love that you're, you're moving into this, this world um, with Barry and me. And I want to give a shout out to, um, steve forges who is the developer of polyvagal theory and has been a great um mentor and and colleague and and now friend and without him none of this would would be happening so he's the one that that um, created the terminology polyvagal theory i love that it um it felt weird and also brought you into a curious place because that i think is 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 so nice that the language of polyvagal theory is not the usual language and yet most people, when they get curious, find they begin using it. So, you know, for me, um, I love the science of it, but I also think it really um, helps us understand how we're human, and when we um, understand how to come to the the state of regulation, then we really can engage with life, and it, we feel safe enough to take risks, to reach out, to try new things, you know, and as a, a uh, social worker. My my clients were all complex trauma survivors, and so getting to the place where they could actually feel safe enough to do that was was a goal, right? That to to feel as though oh I'm I'm organized enough, the world is safe enough, I can find my way through it in a way where I can actually live right? And then I can begin to take some risks around that and and have some um, fun in my life. I think that really is, is, that was my work always, you know, continues to be my work, but especially in the beginning, even though, you know, clients would come with these specific problems, these presenting problems, we call them in the therapy world. And yet, as I, you know, dove really into polyvagal theory, my understanding that if we can help bring more regulation to the nervous system, um, a lot of those presenting problems will resolve and clients will find their way on their own because they now have access to their own internal wisdom, right? So that's where that phrase came from as a a way to sort of try and bring that, what I was doing to life in a way that people would say, oh, yes, I'm curious, how do we do that? So. Yeah.
2: yeah, And so much of it really, I relate with our desire to try and translate things into a a digestible language and to also be able to make it so that we can even access something personally and then be able to extend that. And that's just for us, um, safety is at the core for us to be able to communicate with others and find what we call the third place, you know, not the dichotomy of thinking and curiosity being at the core of that um i would love for you to share because i think that i've watched clearly many a youtubes again thank you to my mom she sends them to me frequently and has done many deep dives and listened to your your work and some interviews and every time i learn about polyvagal and what that even means and what the science is behind it i learn something new each time it's one thing to hear it and it's another thing to even be able to again go back to translating it so please share what that even is as well
0: yeah sure and i love how you said you know third place is all about finding safety so that you can explore um what's between the two yes. ends, right? Which which again, safety is not a, a cognitive experience, right? It's not an exercise we do with our brains. It's a it's an embodied experience. And polyvagal theory shows us a roadmap to having enough safety so that we can engage in this way. So polyvagal, Steve named it polyvagal because there are two branches of the vagus and his work really brought to life the branch of the vagus that um, runs our digestive system when it's doing its everyday role but when it's recruited for a survival response it takes us into collapse shutdown disconnection so that's the that's the oldest pathway of our nervous system right been around for for hundreds of millions of years and um, it's the sort of the path of last resort it's the place we go to when all else fails And, you know, I say we go to, I want people to understand, we don't choose it. Our nervous system chooses it for us, right? But on the way to that place, that second branch of the vagus, on the way there, when we leave the ventral vagal system, which is the newest part of the nervous system. And that's where we are safe and connected and organized. And we can do what we're doing right now. And we can have some fun with it and be playful. When we leave that place, because the world becomes too much for us, too overwhelming, too big, too loud too anything, and we can't hold on to our regulation, we first go to sympathetic fight and flight, right. And before Steve identified the dorsal vagal branch of collapse, that's all we were working with was we're, we're safe and regulated or we're dysregulated and fight and flight. And it didn't explain so many of our experiences because I know probably you both have had an experience where it wasn't fight or flight. It was collapse. Mm-hmm. It was disappear, right? And, and so polyvagal brings that to life in a way that makes it usable for us because what it also tells us is that this is a predictable order we move through. It's called the hierarchy. We go from safe and connected ventral to sympathetic fight and flight, to dorsal disconnect collapse, and we do it in that order. We do it, some people may stay for a long time in fight and flight, while others may go quickly through fight and flight into collapse. And then in order to come back to ventral, we have to come back the hierarchy. I put this on a ladder, so we have to climb back up the ladder from dorsal through sympathetic to ventral again. And that predictable hierarchy just makes so much sense to people. You probably think of a time recently in your own life when you thought, oh, that's what happened for me. Right? I I was overwhelmed and I went to that anxious or, or angry place, the fight and flight, right? Or, oh, I took a step back and I was just going through the motions, but yeah. I wasn't really here. That's the dorsal disconnect, right? So the lovely thing about polyvagal theory is, is it applies to our daily life, right? It's not just something that happens when we are a trauma survivor, right? right. This is moment to moment daily living experience. So that's the hierarchy. And then if we can talk for a minute about neuroception, because that's the way the nervous system takes in cues of safety or unsafety, so that we move along this hierarchy. So if my neuroception, if if it's taking in cues, and it takes it in from three places inside, outside, between, so from inside my body, if it's feeling pretty good in there, cues of safety, from my environment, Right, you know, once we got the my microphone to work, I had some cues (laughs) of safety. In the beginning, there are a lot of cues of danger, like okay, I don't (laughs) think I can do this without being heard. (laughs) Right, but we resolved that cues of safety, and then between, so my nervous system, you know, met your nervous systems a little bit ago and is feeling very welcomed by, yes. by your faces, by your head nods, by your energy. So my neuroception is one of safety, which then puts me in that ventral regulated place, right? If it changes and we get neuroception of danger, we then move sympathetic dorsal, depending on how overwhelming it is. So that's the, the below the level of conscious awareness experience that's going on moment to moment. And when we can bring attention to it, bring awareness to these three streams, like we just did, I thought, Oh, yes, feeling good. Sound now faces, I'm bringing perception to neuroception, so that I bring it alive in that way. And then I can really um, use those cues, I can increase those cues of safety. If I find cues of danger, I can reduce them, and that's how we get to really I call it becoming an active operator of our own nervous system that's what we're trying to do yeah. yeah
1: well I love the framework of it because to me so much of this relates to you know as a society we're really wrestling with questions about equality and equity and and so part of it is you referred to it a little bit ago of just the safety gives us a space to even work out how we can be better humans if you're in this uh s- not safe place it's so much more difficult to be thinking through um how to get yourself out of it how to become safe again because we just don't have access to the the tools again that live in this ventral vagal space so i i just love the framework of it because it feels like it gives better language tools for people to to describe it all i i am curious just as how this shows up into our adult lives, um, because we all experience it differently, I would imagine the points of privilege that one has compared to somebody else helps it show up differently. But I was surprised a little bit to hear that like we're all experiencing this on a daily level, like there's almost a subconscious thing that's going on because you know the reality for me is I'm probably mostly in the safe place and a little bit in the sympathetic place. And only rarely in this dorsal place. But maybe that's not as true as I think.
0: Well, it's it's interesting because, you know, I, I call ventral our home. Right. We all have a home in ventral. And, and for some of us, it's, it's, um, we haven't been there as much as we wanted or the, the way to get there is more challenging. <clears throat> but inside our biology, we all have those pathways that can help us get to that place of regulation. And then I say we have a home away from home in either sympathetic or dorsal, which is simply the place that you most often go to when you feel under threat, right? And that home away from home is shaped in some ways by our early experiences and our growing up experiences. So you say, you know, sympathetic sounds like your home away from home, right? You don't visit dorsal very often, right? And Mary, what about you? Home away from home is?
2: I would say definitely sympathetic. Mm-hmm. But the way I would, I would feel a little bit differently is I feel like I kind of go up and down the ladder. So many times in the day. Yes. Um,
0: yes. Beautiful. And
2: yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm climbing and descending the ladder all often. the time. Right. Yes. Maybe even twice in this last 30
0: minutes. Exactly. And okay. and the, the thing I think we want to think about, and I love that you say that is that we do it in, in nuanced ways. Yeah, we we also do it in great big ways when, when something huge happens, but we do it in these nuanced ways all the time. So you've been, you know, you go down, you come up, you go down, you come up, right? And mm-hmm. my home away from home is dorsal. So when I, you know, feel that overwhelm, I kind of take a metaphorical step back. And so it's not a great big dorsal. I can have that when something big happens or when it's just too much for too long, but sort of the, the nuanced flavor of dorsal that I have is this sort of, Oh, I'm I'm just going through the motions. now. I'm not quite as present as I was 10 minutes ago or something. So, so David, maybe that helps you think about the flavors of your. States. Yeah.
1: I mean, you saying that out loud makes me wonder, question what I said earlier.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, like knowing my own personality type, being pretty emotional, pretty being pretty value driven, maybe I, maybe I'm more like the person that you described that kind of blows past sympathetic, um, because I can feel it in my body a lot more. But I'm I don't ever feel like I'm fight or flight that often. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I actually might my home away from home. Just hearing you talk might be in that dorsal space. I'm curious to keep listening for the yeah. next you know twenty yeah. minutes or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, mm.
2: I was just, as you were talking a little bit earlier, I was wondering, would more awareness as we learn this language, can that also be counterproductive and actually, <laughs> you know, bring you um, in and out of fluctuations? Be- or is that just a part of learning the language? Like, the more I gain awareness, sometimes I it's like what you... Um, what you see, you start to see it everywhere when you're, if you were trying, my friend who's trying to get pregnant, everyone's pregnant around her, right? Yeah. Uh, that yeah. sort of thing. I'm, I'm wondering if it can also um, bring you up and down the, the ladder.
0: You know, it's, it's, it's so fascinating because in the beginning, when you begin to learn the language and begin to, I call it, look, look at the world through the lens of your nervous system. It is like that, you know, it's everywhere because it is everywhere. Everybody has a nervous system right and the nervous system is 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 acting you know in certain ways all the time so you do see it everywhere right and i like to you know, warn people when they come to a training. My hope is that it's a before and after experience for them so that after the training, they can never again not see the nervous system, right? So, and it can be overwhelming. It can be, especially if you go back to David talking about what's happening in the world nowadays, when you look out at the world, it can be overwhelming to think there are so many dysregulated humans right now, either in the sympathetic fight or the sympathetic get me out of here, or the dorsal despair, right? And, and as I look out into the world, it's, it's, it's interesting to me to, to notice what happens in my system. And then to remember that until we have enough people who are anchored in ventral, we can't have the conversations. We can't come together and problem solve because survival states don't allow that. And so it can feel overwhelming, which is when I go to the place where, you know, I say that that my job is to be regulated when I can and to move through the world in that regulated place because other nervous systems feel that right they, they feel oh there there's there's some safe energy around and they begin to to regulate too and then it becomes you know sort of this ripple that goes out in the world so that's yeah. kind of the only thing that I can hold on to at the moment because otherwise it's overwhelming yeah
1: well and you know this is just like kind of where I'm at right now I, I'm a part of five different teams and a variety of different projects some are play projects some are passion projects some are work projects and it's at the moment it feels like everyone is over the top stress and one thing pushes the yes. whole group off. Yes. And I'm trying to like wrestle with, okay, what's going on here? And I tend to be the one I tend to find myself being the one kind of navigating conflicts among others. Um, But I'm just like, is it conflict? Is it just the whole world is over the top? Is it like contagious that we're all over the top? I'm really curious.
0: <laughs> it, yeah. About. Well, yeah your opinions on that, I, I think everybody's if we think about it through the nervous system, everybody's nervous system is really exhausted and depleted,
1: so tired,
0: so tired, and that tiredness then comes out as either fight, anger, anxiety, or collapse, despair, I don't care, give up, right? Because those are the two options of survival for our nervous system, right? So it's been unpredictable. It's been, um, unwanted it's unfamiliar and all those uns are cues of danger to our biology right and then we are you know disconnected socially distanced disconnected we have no idea what's next and all of that is is exhausting for the nervous system and then we go to a survival response and when you say you're the one that that sort of is holding it together you know what you're saying in my language is you have enough ventral that mm. active and alive in your system so that you can begin to see and begin to help others regulate
1: right well the only thing i might add is my ventral is feeling pretty tired
0: too <laughs> you know and i love you know i love that you can say that and that leads us to so what you know, the question, I love the question, what does my nervous system need in this moment, right? And that's kind of the question I ask. So, in your teams. If you introduce enough polyvagal, you know, language, that's the question everybody has to ask in this moment, what's my nervous system need? And mm-hmm. some people might say, I need to get out of here for a bit, great. Other people might say, I need somebody to to talk with, great. Everybody's nervous system is gonna have a different answer to that question, which is why, you know, groups have such hard time because everybody's nervous system needs something different. Right.
2: I, I love that too, because it takes like the, what you feel is who you are thing. When I studied authentic leadership, I remember it's like, we are not what we say or like that, that distinction. So that when you ask from this place of what is your nervous system need or what is my nervous system need, i feel like it gives and leans into one of our core values at with what we're doing which is a generous perspective it's like i can i can um hear your response without making it too personal or bringing in my own relationship to what cuz i feel so often in work environments and relationships it's this Oh, um, I worked until eleven o'clock last night, and I think everyone's immediate response is, "I did too." Like I, I it, talk about that sympathetic, that defensive. Like I have to match you, and instead, it can be, "Oh, I have a generous perspective. I can relate with you, not I need to match you in my my." despair or my sympathetic.
0: And I, I love I love your your term generous perspective because that really for me is your you know that's the ventral vagal. Those are mm-hmm. emergent properties of ventral vagal. You're generous, you're compassionate, you're kind, you're you're curious, you're passionate, yes. you're interested, you're alert, all these things and that generous perspective you can only have that when you are mm-hmm. anchored in ventral or when you have a critical mass of ventral, you know, coursing through your system. So I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So are are there exercises or practices or things that you can do to attract more ventral? Because my intention for this year is to have more play and to have more joy. And I ask myself that every time I'm making a decision now is will that bring me joy. And um, it kind of reminds me, as I'm saying it, Marie Kondo a little bit, right? Where she's like going through her clothes. Um,
1: (laughs) Well, you're cleaning up your internal nervous system house and making sure. I
2: only made that connection now. Um, But part of my realization is that I need to be doing and prioritizing these things like brain spotting, right? Going back to that first thing, so that I can have more of that in my bank but is there any way you can kind of trick your nervous system is, well, what, is there a shortcut
0: <laughs> you can't trick it and no there's no Dang it! <laughs> i know i know but i mean i really, know the answer yeah, i know i mean the an- the answer truly is um i call it befriending you befriend your nervous system you turn towards it and you know if the answer to what is happening right now is this bringing me joy is no Right. Rather than simply walking away from it, be curious about it. So what's pulled me here and, and what, what purpose is it serving? Right. And then, okay. Now what, what might I do to either change that to bring joy or, Oh, now I, I understand I don't need this. I can move towards something else. So, you know, we, we can't, we want to listen to what our nervous system is telling us because it's, it's telling us something for a reason. And if you don't listen, it's simply going to speak louder and louder and louder, in both physical and emotional ways, right? right? So, so it, it it behooves us to listen. So you can ask the question, and you can ask your nervous system: Is this is this feeling nourishing to my nervous system? Which is another way to say: Is this bringing me joy? Because your brain might say, "Oh yeah, I love this," and your nervous system might say, "Not right now." Yeah, and so my my. My invitation would be to go with your nervous system and say, oh, what needs to happen? Because I I find when your nervous system and your brain are not working together, um, your nervous system sort of wins that battle all the time. So, yeah.
2: David, just real quick. Did you just take a deep breath when she was talking to you?
1: I think I did, yeah. (laughs)
2: Because I just have this feeling, like, can you imagine how... Rich Deb would be with how many people take a big old deep breath around her when she's talking.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay, sorry. Sidetrack. No, no,
1: yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> you know, I think a part of this that we're talking about is I, I like what I like what you said about how the nervous system wins all the time. And it it's true. Like if we ignore the voice, eventually things like our blood pressure will say, you know, you haven't been listening to me, so I'm going to make it so you do listen. Um, You know, I'm kind of trying to process people that have had traumas versus people that haven't had as many traumas. I'm trying to even think of at what age does this language really start to take shape? And part of the reason why I'm asking is as a parent of a two- and four-year-old, how am I starting to equip Uh, young children, teenagers, uh, you know, what does equipping look like and and how does that take shape?
0: Yeah. It's, it it is fascinating to, to, when you do start to, you know, look this way, think this way, live this way, you then um, sort of, it it just expands out into everywhere you are. So your kids um, will benefit from you understanding when you look at your two-year-old who's having a tantrum dysregulated nervous system right and and then to be curious i wonder what that nervous system needs in this moment to feel safe enough because it's feeling in danger what whenever we dysregulate it's because the cues of danger have outweighed the cues of safety and there's something going on that makes us feel unsafe and so we have a survival response whether that's a temper tantrum or um uh, you know, I have a grand one granddaughter who loves to explode, and the other one gets very quiet. Both in a survival response, right? So you know, and then to be curious about, wow, what just happened, and what might I do to tip the balance again, so they're more cues of, of safety, and we could begin to come back into connection and figure out what to do in the future. So you know, the the whatever's going on whether it's something we're saying or doing, or thinking or feeling, your nervous system is behind it. Right? So if you think about people with with trauma, um, their nervous system, probably is just more sensitive to cues of danger, than someone who hasn't had those experiences. Again, it's not that we are in ventral all the time. None of us are. Nobody. Nor, nor do we want to be. That's not the goal of living, right? The pain, the suffering comes when we dysregulate into a survival state and get stuck there. We can't find our way back to regulation, right? So if we're, you know, for, for many trauma survivors, the dysregulation happens and they have a hard time finding their way back to regulation. And that makes, that brings the suffering. Right for for your two year old if, if your two year old has this long temperature interview, you say wow really suffering because they're stuck yeah. right they don't want to be right yeah. and again the nervous system doesn't it doesn't think in that way it simply enacts a response
1: yeah and I, I feel like uh, you know the, the question that really stuck a, a few moments ago was a powerful one what does my nervous system need mm-hmm. now. And it's almost like for a two year old that doesn't have the language, I should ask on their behalf. What Mm -hmm. does their nervous system need? And then maybe there's this teenage space that you're you're asking it, but you're also giving them the question to ask themselves too. And there's a bit of a transition.
0: Yeah. And as a parent of a young one, or as a parent of any 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 age, but especially your two year old, they're depending on you to be regulated. Mm -hmm. Right? It's a huge responsibility we take on as parents to be regulated for our kids, and that that goes throughout life. And I think if we even broaden that, we're responsible for being regulated so that we can be regulating to the people around us, right, whether right. they're our colleagues, or people we live with and love a person on the street. That's what we're putting out. So which again, doesn't mean we don't mess up. Right? <laughs> and that's perfectly fine. We have ruptures all the time. And then we make a repair. Right? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it just that, like, even before we push record that permission to, to be imperfect. And that that something about, I have to remind myself um, that when I have those moments of imperfection, uh, around my own, I also have a young son, he's going to be five is that that's healthy for him to witness so that he can right, so that he can go up and down the ladder himself and and witness that I I do that yes. as well? Yes.
0: Okay. And that, that really, the research bears that out. It says that, that um, rupture, rupture is a normal expected part of any relationship, and the repair then makes it stronger. So mm. you would not want to not have these yes. ruptures in your relationships as a parent, as, as colleagues, you know, as friends. It's the repair that then makes it even stronger. Mm-hmm.
2: As you say it, it sounds like something we've all heard so many times, and is so obvious, and yet it just hits differently right now in this moment. Where I'm like, absolutely, the repair is the is the beautiful opportunity.
0: Because if we think about it, we have all heard this in so many ways. If we think about it again through the nervous system, there, there's a there's a rupture that brings a, a disconnect and brings a a survival response, and the repair brings us back to ventral. And every time the nervous system dysregulates and comes back to regulation, it gets better at doing that. So it's Mm. strengthening those pathways. So it's strengthening the relationship, because I know, oh, we can find our way back. And oh, I trust this other person, to come back into regulation and make a repair with me or I'll make the repair with them. There's trust that's built, but it's an autonomic experience at the base of it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and and Mary and I like just, we'll have conversations about how healthy conflict is and yet it's like something so avoided. Right. And I think uh, we've talked in, in the past about how conflict the word conflict and the word fighting get, used in the same way to, way too often right. you know conflict is good and healthy that means we will resolve and I, versus fighting okay we're, we're done and i'm i'm walking away um, right. and, and yeah. so the conflict and everything well everything that you just described feels like that strengthening of the muscle and the more often that you have a healthy version of conflict or a healthy version of going through these three systems then it, it's it's like a muscle that gets strength strengthen and we feel more comfortable use it on a regular basis
0: Yeah, and it it builds flexibility and a flexible nervous system is a resilient system so it's tied to resilience right you were talking about feeling drained you know your resilience is down because you your system has been challenged over and over and over and over we're all tired right but if you've traveled down and up and down and up you know over the course of many years you can find that resilience a bit better than those of us who have not traveled those pathways so often. Right. Because there's that flexibility that's, that's come to be built in. Yeah.
2: I, I feel like there's a shared rebellion happening right now with, um, going against this societal push or this energy that we have to be performing and showing up in such a way. And that, that, um, that burnout that we're talking about, um, I don't think that we've caught up with having the tools or the shifts to be able to, to mitigate them or work with them or regulate them, really, right? That's, I love that word. And, and it's so hard, like, cause in David's, you know, rational mind, he can say, gosh, clearly I'm also joining in this rebellion, but I don't, I have to still show up for these five teams unless I create this harsh boundary. I'm, I get confused as to how to be in this, like, in between space right now
0: yeah it is a and and the in between is a challenging place for we humans right because we're not yet we're not still an old story but we haven't really figured out the new story yet we we're we're in that space between and in the space between we really have to hold on to ventral because it gives us the 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 courage the curiosity to keep going forward. And it's easy to go backwards when we're in between. It's easy to pull back and hold on to, no, we're going to do it this way, the rigidity, right? Because it feels safe in that moment. So to, to stay in between and to stay open to, to, I call it you, you take a leap trusting that there will be a safe landing. And boy, haven't we all made some messy landings, right? I know I have, <laughs> but in ventral, I at least have the, okay, I'm gonna take this leap again and let will see what happens, right? And, you know, if David, you're responsible for five teams and you cannot show up for those five teams unless your system is is nourished, right? So your first responsibility is, what do you need to do to feel filled enough to show up for the others. In in the clinical world, that's what's been happening. Um, you know, it's been very challenging. Clinicians show up, show up, show up, but they haven't found places to then fill themselves. Right. And so everybody's overwhelmed. Everybody has a waiting list. There's no place to put people. And for you know, for we therapists that's that that feels horrible. And yet, right, so we've got all of this going on and self care, which you know, has also gotten to be sort of a a, a, a prescription or something, yeah. right? You know, so I hate to say it, but self-care through the nervous system, autonomic self-care, again, is, is having a menu of choices and mm. asking yourself every day, sort of that is this bringing me joy question, but, you know, what does my nervous system want today from this range of choices that would help it feel grounded, anchored, filled, Okay, enough, whatever the word is there so that, you know, we have this, this menu of choices to choose from and make a commitment with our nervous system to, to read the menu and find something on that menu that feels doable today. And some days that might be some very passive activity that simply lets me take a break. And other days it may be, you know, going out for a, for a run right and again you can't decide that in your brain you can't right? right
1: i'm very curious to know about the state of the world that we're in and then and how we perceive information and even uh, like the com- kind of comparison and the selves that we present in platforms like social media you know when i think about social media or or cell phone or you know smartphones it's like these things are just teenagers and teenagers haven't figured out life yet. So I'm pretty sure we haven't figured this thing out yet. But we've kind of created this perfect storm of how we are perceiving information. So, you know, a lot of people might only put their best versions of themselves on a platform, which then influences my nervous system responses. Um, and often in a comparison way, which feels negative.
0: Right. Right. And so a couple of things. One, what we put out there in the world is what we feel safe enough to put out there into the world. Yeah, right. You know, so if I'm only putting out this very curated, you know, Deb looking really good, it's because I don't feel <laughs> safe enough to put other things out, right? I have to feel that ventral anchoring is like, okay, here is me. You know, so that was one. And then we're always in the, in the, Work of comparing and contrasting. That's the human experience. We are always doing that. If I can stay anchored and ventral, if I'm in that place, then my compare and contrast is done with, um, curiosity and wishing you well-being and not, you don't, it's not a one up or one down thing, right? Mm -hmm. But if I move into sympathetic, then I have to be better than you. Otherwise, uh, there's something, you know, I said, it's dangerous for me. So that happens. If I move to dorsal, everyone's better than me. And because I'm, 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 I'm no good. I'm hopeless. Right. So you can see where the survival states take us in the story of compare and contrast. Whereas in ventral, it's like, I can be really happy for someone's success and be curious. Tell me more. How did you do it? I want to know. I really like this, or I can I can say, huh? I, I really didn't like what that person was offering, but I don't have to. I, it doesn't have to be bad, right? It can simply be okay, not for me, right? So that that I think is really important right now. And again, it it I feel like a broken record. It comes back to ventral, right? Mm-hmm. Ventral is, I think, the the essential ingredient in living a life of well being.
2: So I feel like people would assume that you live in ventral (laughs) very often though right (laughs) you know it's just like anytime we put ourselves like when david and i started to say that we talked about this third place this in between place and and that we welcome conflict like holy crap so much conflict started to (laughs) we get lots of opportunity for (laughs) conflict um so with that misperception of you living in ventral what would you say to that and also um, is there anything in a day-to-day that that brings up your dorsal that would make people oh, yeah. see the humanness in you? <laughs> or oh, just boy. curious yeah, yeah,
0: Sure. <laughs> yeah, and you know it's it, it's an interesting time to be doing this um conversation together because um and most people who've heard any of my work know that um my husband had a stroke um over seven years ago.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: so um we moved in, our relationship changed, right? And I became more of a caregiver. And recently, the last, I don't know, probably six weeks, th- that's become even more skewed, right? And so um, I have lived a lot in Dorsal over the past six weeks because it's like, it, it's a very lonely place, caregiving. And many of your people who listen yeah. may be caregivers because the relationship that, that was a reciprocal relationship is now changed, Right and and I am working really hard to look across at my husband who who I love dearly but be able to look at him and say okay his nervous system is doing the best it can right and and so that's been my you know last six weeks or so of just trying to wow how do I figure this out and so because we move down and up this this ladder you can imagine there are moments when my sympathetic anger. emerges because you can't stay in dorsal all the time and sympathetic says okay get me out of this dorsal place doesn't get me to ventral but it but i go to door and go to sympathetic and so sympathetic every now and then comes out with with some um interesting language and Mm -hmm. um you know, I'm stomping around and all those sorts of things that that I do think everybody can relate to. So I appreciate everybody, you know, being with me on this journey of being human. It, it, we are human. And then my job, truly, as I'm saying this, I love my job is to not blame and shame myself. Yeah. right. It is to say, wow, I really, I, you know, I'm doing the best I can. And I am not able to be as kind as I want to be right now because my nervous system is just really struggling. And when I can say it like that, then I can say, okay, what do I need to do so that I can fill so that I can show up and be a kind and loving caregiver? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Carla McLaren, who we've brought on before, and I'm sure you know her, she has said something and I don't know if I'll butcher it, but the way that I um, understood it was that despair is means that there's a lack of of a healthy amount of anger and so when i hear you say that 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 anger comes out it's like it's uh the the emotions of the body's way trying to to regulate again or to balance or 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 shift through
0: yeah I i think you know i would love to say that the nervous system everything it does is in service of our safety and survival yeah. everything, so even the the disconnect and and not showing up in the way that that I'd like to is in service of my safety and survival in that moment, so that's important for us to remember, yeah, yeah, I think that that's
1: that feels very grounding. I'm trying to absorb all this in, and I think all of our listeners will too, and we uh I think has sparked a lot of curiosity so I'm I'm wondering where people can find more of you and your work but also there was the breath moment that Mary kind of called out <laughs> <laughs> um I'm in answering where we can find more of your work I'm curious like when we find ourselves in either this dorsal or sympathetic state and we don't want to be there is there something simple like that where we like see it and we like okay I need to just take a breath like is there some kind of yeah. thing that we can do that can give us pause and space.
0: Yeah, and it, it's, it's, it, that's a challenging question to answer because our nervous systems are so uniquely um, wired. Um, sighing is the, the breath that I usually um, talk about because we sigh um, spontaneously many times an hour. But <laughs> in dorsal, you can, you can just sigh a sigh of, of despair. And it brings a little energy in an interesting way. In sympathetic, a sigh of frustration, right? And then, and then in ventral, a sigh of relief or a sigh of contentment. So just, just bringing saying, okay, I'm going to sigh brings a bit of, um, awareness and awareness again means that you have a bit of ventral. On board, so that would be. I also think. Cool. I know. I'm
2: I'm giggling just because I sigh. I'm very auditory, and so and my son is constantly, "What's wrong? Are you okay?" He's very aware, and I and I do. I'm very much a sire in all different ways. Well,
0: now you can go home and teach him the science of sighing and say, "Oh, (laughs) it's it's my body regulating just a bit."
2: Right.
0: Mm -hmm. See, there's another one.
1: (laughs) 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 <laughs> that was a perfect answer i think that, that that i would never have put sigh and breath together but absolutely mm. i can get my i can think of myself in all three stages and yes. sighing in each of the three beautiful. beautiful beautiful
0: and with your one of your groups that you, you have to manage you can all sigh together and see what yeah. happens see what happens <laughs> Good <idea>. Good <laughs> idea.
2: yeah let's sigh together mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. even with yeah i love that the, that the sighs can hold different yeah. different charges to them yeah. the relief it's not just i think so often it feels like it's just a negative thing and and really it's there is the sigh of of joy and release and and all of that as well
0: and and even the sigh of frustration or despair remember is your biology working to try and regulate in some way so that's a lovely thing to remember oh my my is working on my behalf even as i have no capacity to to do that with my brain at the moment right yeah yeah, yeah. so where can everyone connect with you uh,
2: i could tell everyone but i'll let you share <laughs>
0: <laughs> well uh, go, go to my website rhythmofregulation.com and that we're we're, we're just updating it and trying to um, add things for curious human beings because i really do want to reach Um, just regular humans who want to begin to understand the nervous system and there's a lot of content for clinicians as well so come there come see me there that would be lovely
2: thank you such an absolute honor and i i really don't have any more words but i will sigh with joy and gratitude (laughs)
0: lovely thank you this has been such fun so fun
2: thank you deb Mm -hmm. be well
1: third place podcast is produced by podcast publishing house if you like what you're hearing follow us and subscribe at all of your favorite platforms apple spotify also check out the episodes on our website thirdplacepodcast.com for additional resources and transcriptions of our episodes the third place is all about continuing the conversation so make sure you follow us on instagram and facebook at third place podcast There you can check out our weekly co-host Happy Hours on IGTV. And if you like what you're hearing and want to continue to support our work, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash third place podcast.